asparagus looks delicious, sir. <laughs> oh, don't eat it, Boxcar. It's not right. Not right? No, ma'am. I know asparagus. We used to pick it. Pick it? When you were bums. <laughs> we were not bums. Give me perhaps a better word would be tramps. Mrs. Crocker, my friends and I were hobos. Oh, there's a difference? <laughs> a hobo is a migratory worker. A tramp is a migratory non-worker. A bum is a non-migratory non-worker. You sit a bum down, he stays there till he dies. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Piloting Error, the podcast about unaired, unloved, and unhinged pilots. My name is Danson Joe, the rum dum dandy, and with me as always, my co-host, the Little Rock Kid, the Arkansan arsonist, Stuart. <laughs> hey Stuart, how are you? I'm sucking down some mulligan stew right now, just sitting on the hard rock candy mountain, playing my banjo, waiting for the train to pull in to town so i can hitch a ride to that next uh, job out on the dust bowl well that sounds fantastic and our guest today writer producer extraordinaire you know him from sirius xm team coco and maximum fun it's rob schulte hey rob hi do i have to come up with my own hobo name on the spot or is that like a nickname no hobo names have to be given by another hobo okay. that's the so by the end of this recording session, you both will, will give me a hobo name. We will Absolutely. know your hobo name okay. uh, once we've reached the end. We'll know your hobo star sign. And that's not to be confused with like a bum name. No, right. absolutely not. Just trying to figure out the uh, intricacies of <laughs> yeah, nicknames in general. But yeah, I'm glad to be on, guys. This is exciting. I love the podcast. Yeah, we're glad to hear have you. Yeah, absolutely. You're also glad to hear me. I get it. <laughs> I have this 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 little voice that uh, talks to me, and now it's talking to you guys. And tonight we're talking about the 1983 Buddy Hackett. There goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. The neighbors up in arms because the hobos got it good. There goes the neighborhood. This is a jewel. And I mean a jewel because it's stuck underground, metaphorically, in a rock, and nobody wants anyone to find it. <laughs> it's a hidden gem. It's like compressing coal down into a diamond. I love this. <laughs> it smashed that so bad, it's incredible. How does this exist? Sweet spot for me. And I was pretty much laughing from the start, just at how terrible all the choices were. It feels like it's just groping in the dark with no idea what people want or what is funny. The humor is just so tired and predictable. It's literal trash of zero value. <laughs> so exactly the wheelhouse for this podcast. Well, the interesting thing about weird sitcoms or failed pilots or whatever of this ilk is the fact that you just know someone like 
picked up a script, blew the dust off of it, and was like, all right, let's just make a couple of changes because I wrote this 20 years ago and I have to rush in something that someone's finally asked from me. This probably got shopped around for one season 10 years prior to 1983, so that would be 1973, those of you doing the math. And I don't know, guys. Like <laughs> Pilots like this, it's similar to Cal's. <laughs> Oh, yes. The Eddie Izzard classic, right? Right. And there's some parallels that I think we should talk about. It feels like a producer situation mm. where there's just this industry where we make pilots. We don't have any desire to make a TV show. We don't think it's going to go anywhere. But there's money in making a pilot. And it's never intended to go anywhere. It's just intended to be a job. It feels like when you have to run out the budget at the end of a year so that you get at least that same budget next year. Yeah, exactly. Or it's some sort of money laundering situation where <laughs> we had to pay the actor who played the kid $50,000 by the end of the year, and this was the only way we could actually make it happen yeah. by spending $2 million. <laughs> you oh, usually please tell me they didn't spend $2 million on this. <laughs> Well, on the books say $2 million, but we don't know where it went. <laughs> it's usually better to lose money. Often, these things turn into some sort of tax scheme where we just needed to have our, something to write off at the end of the year. If it had made money, then they would have had to have uh, declared income, which is no good. <laughs> and made a second episode. Yes, yeah. and, and brought money back. Isn't that the whole of the producers? Yes. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. Another thing I like about this is that it's only 22 minutes long, which is a nice change of pace for what we've been watching lately. Perfect length. Uh, I was listening to last week's episode, the John Denver one. What was that called again? Higher, Higher Ground. Ground. Of course, how could I forget? <laughs> and I just remember like watching the Magnum P.I. <laughs> or the MacGyver. Pilots, you know, where they're like almost mm -hmm. two hour miniseries that were like, hey, if it doesn't turn into a pilot, at least we've got a kind of kick ass movie. Yeah, yep. MacGyver uses a gun. And Higher Ground was, it was neither. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I can only imagine having to sit there through practically a movie and just being like, oh my God, like at what point did not anyone step in and go, <laughs> never <Yeah>. mind? <laughs> And they had less time in this film or in this TV show. Not to get too much into higher ground, but it was definitely better written than a lot of the stuff we've watched. Well, true, true. Which made it much harder to watch, honestly, because there was less to make fun of. <laughs> less simple to just shit all over it like we do with <laughs> most of this stuff. There goes the neighborhood. For 1983 seems insanely out of touch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why it has to have been written years ago. Like, I just... Right. I cannot understand this. And the whole thing plays out like a high school play. You know, <laughs> like you can tell when they're like, and now let's, here's the blocking where he sits down and I get up and start waving my hands. You know, like yeah. everything is premeditated and nothing seems real in this TV show. For sure. There's a lot of moments that seem staged so that they can, you know, have clips for the commercials. Oh, God. And just the saccharine. We'll get there. Oh, but, yeah. like, it's, <laughs> it, oh, so fake. It's like a big sweet and low packet in parts of this movie or Drives TV me show. fucking insane. <laughs> it was really hard finding any information about it. There were no reviews and barely any press. Um, we are extremely lucky to even have this VHS copy 
that was on YouTube, it would otherwise just be gone forever. It's not a stretch to say no one has thought about the show since 1983, except for maybe Rob, who's already done a podcast about it. <laughs> well, you know, my buddy Mike Sachs, he came on this other podcast I used to do called The TV Show Show, and he was like, this is the only television show I want to talk about. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, okay. And I watched it, and Mike and I have worked together for years, and you know, RIP the TV show show, or at least my participation in it. I wanted to talk for hours about this show. That's how much I love There Goes the Neighborhood. There Goes the Neighborhood. <laughs> That's amazing that you love it that much. I'm really kind of surprised anybody does. I, I just love trash. Like, whether or not <laughs> the intent was for this to be a full-fledged series or just like a money laundering scheme, someone put hours and hours hours into this. <laughs> scripting finding the cast making sure it gets shot and for what every, the, tons of people read the script like and every okay green light you know like i'm personally yep. one of my goals is to sell a television show okay that is one of my goals in life and to even imagine approaching someone with a script like this would <laughs> ruin me it um, embarrasses me yeah Despite the fact that I have nothing to do with it. Exactly. <laughs> it was number 63 that week when it was on with around 7 million viewers. Still more than anything on streaming gets. And no, nowhere near the bottom, which was Zorro and Sun. Zorro and Sun? Holy shit. What the fuck is that? I think I've now found what I'm watching after this recording. Jesus, we should just stop this record and watch it. Yeah, we'll, we'll yep. do a mini podcast series on Zorro and Son. Fuck. <laughs> just throw in some bossa nova music right here, and then we'll come back. <laughs> so obviously we have a Beverly Hillbillies vibe, but also Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yep, mm. yep. Well, especially with the theme song telling you exactly what's going on. Which is very helpful. Because <laughs> I would have been completely lost. We don't like origin stories on this podcast. We want to be dropped right in the middle of the action. Uh, in media ray, as yes. they say. Anything we need to know can be told in flashbacks or dream sequences. We don't want to see how they all met. God help you if you use voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> But also, it's similar to The Cows, because this is a fish-out-of-water story about classism. However, I would argue that hobos in this show are treated much differently than the cows were in Cows, which is something I definitely want to compare and contrast. Mm. The message in Cows was that you can't just get money and become upper class. And in this, it seems like the message is... Yeah, you can just get money and hobos can hang out with the rich people. No big deal. As long as you teach the rich people a lesson or make them feel bad. There you right. go. What they're trying to, quote, teach America and these sorts of things is like, hey, you know, you should really point out when someone is being rude and that will fix it. <laughs> I'm reading this book called The Coming Insurrection. And, no, I'm just I'll have to check that out after I finish the Turner Diaries. <laughs> Anytime we do a meeting for the show, it inevitably gets derailed into him just telling me about the Turner Diaries. <laughs> do you have a go bag? Yeah. I'm serious. <laughs> I actually do not have a go bag, but I started building a go bag at the beginning of the pandemic, just in case. And then I ate all my granola bars. <laughs> I have one on the end of a stick, and it's wrapped up in a handkerchief. Ooh, is it from ah. Gucci's? 
You know, I kind of had a uh, had a premonition after watching this the last time that I watched it, which was that if this had taken off, the possibilities of like a commercial where it's like the Capital One commercials and it's like, what's in your bindle? <laughs> <laughs> It's just credits. They just say it's credits. They don't even give you the paper money anymore. <laughs> this leads right into who is Buddy Hack? Who is? He's a character actor who had been around since the 1950s. He's pretty um, great. I can't lie about it. He's just like such a cute little guy that I just like I just him. want to boop his nose. Yeah. Yeah. His little like cross-eyed face that he makes a lot through this. I love it. Yeah. When his eyes go crazy, that's like his signature. Now, I might be the just ignorant film knowledge person, but I think my first experience with Buddy Hackett was just Tommy Boy. Maybe you were watching a movie with that funny comedian. Oh, what's his name? Buddy Hackett? I don't think I actually knew who he was. Like, I knew it was a name, but the first thing I actually heard was Buddy Wackett, oh, oh. you know? <laughs> and I knew it was like Herbie Hancock. That's not the yeah, name, yeah. but there is someone else named that. <laughs> I used to get him mixed up with Maury Amsterdam. A name I have no idea who that is. From the, the Dick Van Dyke show? One night she says to me, how do you fix frankfurters? I said, I don't know. I guess the same way you fix fish. She says, I tried it. Once you clean out those weenies, there's nothing left. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You ever yeah. watch that on Nick oh, at Night? Okay. I thought they were the same person. That's a, a good fake time. name. The show where uh, Mary Tyler Moore doesn't have any <laughs> thumbs, right? Oh, <laughs> That's why she's not out there making dinner for her husband. Whoa, whoa. Hot under the color here. You yeah, know I think... who I also got him confused with? Jimmy Durante. Mm. Well, Who I have no idea why I knew who he was other than, uh, what is that movie with Michael J. Fox, Greed? They were both in, um, it's a mad, 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 world. Sorry, Stuart, you cut out. What was that? It's a mad, 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 world. Don Draper. That movie is ridiculous. I've never seen that movie. I've only seen the remake, Rat Wraith. Well, originally it was meant to be played in a primitive like IMAX theater. So I don't think you ever get really the full experience like watching it at home. You would eject it on three screens surrounding. Interesting. But everybody ever in the from the 1960s shows up in that movie. That makes sense. It's like a Cannonball Run. Cannonball Run is a remake of it too, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More Dom DeLuise. <laughs> Wrong! On the similar vein, Buddy Hackett was in the Herbie the Love Bug movies too. Okay, yeah. real quick. My brain just immediately went to if Buddy Hackett and Lindsay Lohan were in a film together. Oh. And I was like, is that possible? Because she was in one of the Herbie movies. He died oh, in yeah, 2003. No, I don't think it would have happened then. But yeah, dear probably. God, I would have treasured that just in case. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to contradict you, Rob, but... Oh, please. I, I'm looking at uh, whodatedwho.com, the <laughs> the website that uh, I check every day. Yes. And it looks like Buddy Hackett and Lindsay Lohan actually dated for six months. That's how you do it in Mykonos. <laughs> it ended because he was just a little too crazy. He wouldn't take that arrow out of his mouth. <laughs> I read this crazy thing about how they tried to replace Lou Costello 
with uh, Buddy Hackett when, when Lou Costello got to be too sick. And I couldn't find the source of it, but I did find... There was a 1954 movie that was supposed to star Abbott and Costello, but they had... Fireman, to... save yeah. my child. Yeah, yeah. And it, it ended up starring... Spike Jones and his City Slickers, which was way better. And then they got Who? Hugh O'Brien. Who's Hugh O'Brien? Exactly. And Buddy Hackett, basically as Abbott and Costello. And then in 1978, he starred as Lou Costello in a made-for-TV movie with Harvey Corman called Bud and Lou that's supposed to be absolutely terrible. Oh, God. And I sent you guys a clip of the climactic death scene. <laughs> Costello huh. struggling to drink yeah. a milkshake. I had a lot of strawberry malted in my life you know that one of all of them i ever had boy eddie this one's the best how do i drink this but not struggling leading up to it but immediately when it's supposed to be and you die on this line he struggles just in that clip because i will not watch that film but he might as well be like the robbers in the dream sequence of uh, A Christmas Story, you know, where they're like piled up and birds are chirping and their eyes have X's on them. Like, that's how he dies, tongue out like bleh. And then when it cuts to the next scene, which is just a little bit close up, the lighting is completely different. It's almost like a different film grain. Like, everything about it is terrible. He voiced the groundhog from the Rankin Bass TV special Jack Frost, and I only want to say that so I can play a clip of it right here. I've got a day named after me, February 2. Say, that's the day that I decide what the weather's gonna do. Awesome. But I think most of our listeners will probably know him as Scuttle the Seagull from The Little Mermaid. It's a dingle hopper. Most of our listeners are 14 years old. They want to know where the heck it is. They want to know where the podcasts are. Where can I get How many guns does a man like to shoot? I don't know. A million? A hundred. <laughs> By this time, uh, he was way past his prime extremely overweight he was already 60 when this was shot he is quite rotund in this he's round like a ball it's like alice in wonderland (laughs) you know (laughs) he looks like those twins yeah tweedledee and tweedledum surprisingly uncomfortable to see such an unhealthy person (laughs) normally we don't see homeless people that are just so sickly looking yeah (laughs) we're gonna get in trouble (laughs) and it's not me doing it this time it was surprising to see an aged actor meandering around the stage in the state that he was in yeah it's like if you could see orson welles recording his uh lines for the transformers animated movie (laughs) ambling around 450 gotta be the closest thing to it yeah (laughs) this is my command you are to destroy the autobot matrix of leadership it is the one thing the only thing that can stand in my way does someone want to read this this press blurb it's not I think it's only like half of it actually has anything to do with it. Uh, I can read it if you guys want. That's the uh, piece from the newspaper here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Buddy Hackett just finished taping There Goes the Neighborhood, an NBC TV pilot in which he plays one of three drifters who inherit megabucks and a mansion from an eccentric millionaire. 
and he didn't win any popularity contests on the set. Hackett, a vociferous non-smoker, refused to allow any puffing on the set and even went so far as to dismiss crew members who had the smell of smoke on their clothing. Sounds like he's been hanging around with Tony Randall and Cloris Leachman. Wow, this guy, cool. That's bizarre. (laughs) Yeah, especially in 1983. Yeah, I I mean, it's kind of like Rob Reiner was such a huge anti-smoking that he refused to have the kids smoking cigarettes on Stand By Me. So they were smoking like dried cabbage, which I can't imagine is any better than tobacco. Yeah, no shit. Like, oh my God. Also, Rob Reiner, he loves the environment and that's why he takes his private jet everywhere. <laughs> he fucking, he is such a fucking beat down. I'm sorry. I love a lot of his movies. Same. His, his dad is like a fucking legend, but God damn it. Just shut the fuck up exactly (laughs) so we also we have this little tidbit from youtube user e padden oh yeah from april 2021 joe you want to read that e (laughs) padden the book sweeps explains why this pilot didn't sell it says buddy hackett was great in rehearsals but then froze up when it came time to tape for real and thus made a totally bad impression on execs watching this deciding if it would proceed to series we tried to get this book, but we couldn't get it in time. Here's so. the thing. There is so much more than potentially Buddy Hackett freezing up on screen to mm-hmm. decide if this should proceed to series. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's a lot of other problems. <laughs> and we'll get there, but there's a whole yeah. segment about making bird sounds that I do not understand how it made it in there. Yeah. Let's talk about the version we watched. This pilot comes to us courtesy of the WOC archive. WOC, an initialism for with original commercials. <laughs> so a YouTube channel right in line with the values of this podcast. Sure. Hell yeah. That's right. We are a podcast <laughs> that first and foremost values original commercials. The WOC, they've uploaded all kinds of stuff from a wide range from old VHS tapes, including at least two other pilots that we've added to our spreadsheet and we'll get around to someday. So go check out the WOC archive. This was taped off TV and the quality is about what you would expect from a 40-year-old tape, even though the date in the title is wrong. It says this was broadcast on April 6, 1983. This pilot aired June 4th, 1983, which was a Saturday. That's just Euro dating, I think, right? Isn't it? Isn't it just like the putting the day of the month first? Yeah. Oh, it's backwards. Yeah. Oh, wow. Good detective work there, Joe. See, we're learning so much on this podcast just by taking it slow. Everything I wanted to do with this episode. Yeah, TV pilots always on in the summer, and they're always on either Saturday or Sunday night. So. There's no way this would have been on TV in April. (laughs) That would be crazy. Is that still happening? I don't know. I recently watched Abbott Elementary, but there was like two episodes left, right? And I didn't backdate on when it started, but I was just like, wow, this mid-season show, they're still doing that shit. I don't understand the logic, but I'm sure there's some sort of Nielsen statistics that I have no idea about. Oh, we just had a visit from the Nielsen man at our house. Yeah. Oh, really? They want us to be a Nielsen household. And I don't really know that how that will work because most of what we watch is on 
you know let's say <clears throat> a slightly less than legal a streaming service so. there's a episode of roseanne i should direct you to about nielsen families oh wow yeah they like had pbs running in the living room and then they were all sitting in the garage watching <laughs> stupid tv yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's such a me kind of thing like yeah i'm watching the smart thing Actually, I'm re-watching Weekend at Bernie's for some reason. Wow, and one family is just watching <laughs> Frasier 24 hours a day. Sidebar, I just finished a couple months ago a rewatch of the entire series of Frasier. Okay, bring it on. Let's sidebar. It is the greatest American sitcom until the last season. Ever. Which is just fucking yes out. what is happening why are they wearing these shitty wigs and they're using a borderline fisheye lens to film yeah. these weird flashbacks it, it's yep. very strange well, they had the money and they could do whatever they wanted they should have just paid everyone that worked on the show that's the crazy thing i find with like shows that for whatever reason keep going on but get a final season i'm currently re-watching the drew carey show which is not available anywhere on streaming. I just happen to have them all from VHS rips. I'm very fortunate. They're up on Daily Motion. Yeah, well, okay, cool. <laughs> the Drew Carey Show very much thinks that Drew Carey is an everyman who's in <laughs> middle management. And every man probably has a fucking fast food job. He is not a representation of America and they always try and push him as such. It was the same thing with like fucking Dilbert. No one had those fucking jobs, really. Yeah. The thing of the Drew Carey show is that for its warts and all, it's a decent show until about season three. Wow. And then Drew has these crazy episodes like the notice what's wrong here yeah. or this is the live episode. And those were all well and good. I watched the first live Drew Carey show. <laughs> episode that was like the mixture between live and whose line is it anyway? Oh yeah, whose line, yeah. And the show should have been canceled after that. It was not <laughs> funny. No one in the cast could improvise at all. At all. And they always paired them up with a Wayne Brady, of course. But Wayne can't fucking carry the show. And right. when you get to the final season of Drew Carey, they break the fourth wall by like changing the camera positions. Right. I hate when they give a creator so much control that they change what the show actually is. See, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I, I really like that it got very experimental. Now, have you seen that last season? Yeah. Like, oh, I feel like no. Drew Carey is just kind of like, he's like, fuck it. I don't care. I can do whatever I want. And I want to try this and I want to try that. And I appreciate that. Sure. I appreciate someone wanting to do what they want to do, but not if it's bad. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you still have to represent, like, what you're putting out there. And it was not good. Now, granted, all the dance sequences, amazing. I loved when they did that stuff. You know, dances, different songs. I thought that was fun. That added a little accoutrement that made the show better. Yeah, and it's kind of become a thing. Pretty much every sitcom since then does like a dance mm. number. It's something like The Office did it. Yeah. Park did it. Community did it multiple times. Oh, watch it now. 
unfortunately we don't get any commercials despite the name of this youtube channel although we do get a nice little gary uh, coleman bumper at the beginning which is great yeah we get the intro we are being demanded directed really we must watch this tv show Uh uh-huh that's right (laughs) yes he demands it we're nbc just watch us now Okay, Gary, I'm watching it. Yeah. I'm here, not going anywhere. We're NBC, just watch now. Gary Coleman had a sex call-in line. Really? At some point. I remember him talking about it on Howard Stern. Wow. He had a sex call-in line or a sex call-in problem? He would call in and it would be his voice recorded. I'm lying on my floor playing with my model trains right now. I'm making tracks, baby! Oh, just lay back and listen. I'm small, but I know how to choo-choo. You could be my jungle gym, and I'll swing around and climb. Let me get my trampoline, baby. Wow. That is a particular fetish. (laughs) Yeah. Which, hey, I don't kink shame. I'm not going to yuck your yum, but that raises more questions than answers, I think. Unlike Rob, I will yuck your yum. Also, something I'm into. <laughs> Getting your yum yucked is, is, yeah. your, is your yum. Yeah, and also spit on me. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get the incredible theme song. Have you heard the news? What those three hobos did? Named Boxcar and Barney and Herbert the Kid. They made friends with a multimillionaire. And when he died, he left him money in his house in Bel Air. There goes the all TV themes in the early 80s were required to be country. Everything had to be folksy because of Ronald Reagan. Oh, my God. Well, you know, uh, if you can't put jelly beans yeah, in it, what's then in what's it's in 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 what's in in you can't put jelly beans in it. There's a there point in time in my life where all I could eat was stew. And ice chips. By the way, the lead-in for the show was Mama's Family. God damn it. <laughs> was that Rob Reiner in that Ugh. show? Rob Reiner might as well have directed it. Rob Reiner might have been in it. I just remember the guy who was the captain from F Troop was in Damn, F Troop. Oh, F Troop. That's a classic being at a hotel with your family. and You're not quite tired because you're 11 years old <laughs> and you're waiting for everyone to go to sleep so that, you know, you can uh, jack yourself off. Yeah. To F Troop. To F Troop? To F Troop, because it's the only thing that's on. Hitting the old F Troop. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, honey. Gotta go do a little F Troop. (laughs) I love this theme song. Three fish out of water just to living it up. Toasting their luck from a silver cup. The rich neighbor's crying. It's a crying shame. Old Grant's Bird Mansion will never be the same. There goes the neighborhood. It explains everything we need to know. These three aliens, sorry, not aliens, these three hobos <laughs> made friends with a billionaire. He died and left them his house and money, and hilarity ensued. Obviously, this old man has gone insane, right? He's like wandering beaches and shit. So it seems like he's having some sort of existential quandary, and he's wandering around and he's slumming it up with the hobos, trying to like reconnect with something do they stay where they are we know they're in bel-air so it would have to have been close to there oh they're in bel that's what i'm axing yeah 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 there goes the we 
go talk about the logo because the logo is incredible it really is maybe the best logo i've ever seen it starts ultra fancy at the top and gets progressively more tattered until the word neighborhood is full on hobo font it's not hobo the font the font hobo which is my favorite font no it's a uh, tattered font I it's got rough font. edges yeah it's tattered a, it looks like it was painted with the brushes that huckleberry finn used to paint that fence <laughs> tom sawyer same guy but. but we can see the neighborhood deteriorating before our eyes in this logo ah. it is three fonts to be 100 percent here yes <laughs> The top font is the classiest. And the bottom font is the hoboiest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yet the bindle goes through the average font in the middle. And that says a lot about society. It does says a lot about really society. Does. Most people are one paycheck away from holding that bindle. That's right. They sure are. They're one paycheck away from having an answer to what's in it your goes, bindle. It goes through the the which is the article the only article in this in this phrase maybe one could call it the wow. working man of the english language the lowly the holy wow. shit that's incredible <laughs> this is why i've chosen to do a podcast with you stuart and with you robert you two well geniuses. thank you but i just have a bunch of non sequiturs <laughs> <laughs> so when the show starts the first thing we see is a legit french maid wearing a spirit of halloween maid costume and it's pretty awesome <laughs> did you say spirit of halloween <laughs> yes <laughs> spirit of halloween a jack skellington costume <laughs> i don't think we ever see her again but she she leaves and the butler comes in to answer the telephone and this is william glover mm -hmm. really who is our favorite kind of working actor who has 55 credits to his name between 1952 and 1991. So 40 year career. I think the interesting thing here is like one of his last roles as an actor was in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Ah! <laughs> oh, wow. And oh. I can only imagine him being on set there being like, you know, this reminds me a lot of a show I did. And then everyone is gone by the time he finishes his story. <laughs> Shut up, William. <laughs> cool, yeah, we know. New but different, new but different. Grandpa's on a tangent again. Aren't you supposed to be coiling up some wire somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> this idea of butlers and maids yeah. in television shows is, like, it's so unbelievable because even, like, the richest of people I don't really think have butlers anymore. Maybe it's a little bit more believable in a show like this where it's like extremely old money in Bel Air. But, and see how I'm using that old new money? I get it. But like a show like Mr. Belvedere, right? Why would this middle class family have a butler too? Or the, the nanny. She had style, she had class, she was there. That's how she became the nanny. The nanny. We were butler crazy in the 80s. There's also an episode of Frasier where they compete over a butler. Oh, that's true. Oh, yes. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it's uh, played by a guy from Star Trek. Yeah, but I don't remember which guy. I just know he I, was there. I, I, can't, I can't type right now. Uh, but Hold on, let me turn on the piloting error computer. <laughs> Boop, 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 boop,
Uh, also, you know, William Glover was in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. He played Jacob Marley. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the Devil's Do. Yeah, he was in a holodeck program yeah. at the beginning. Holodeck episodes, the best Star Trek episodes. For sure. The line must be drawn here. Especially when they make girlfriends and stuff. Well, I, I don't know what else you would do with the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the thinly veiled quirk is running sex hologram things in DS9. They don't even try to put any yeah. pretenses on it at that point. Exactly. Let's not beat around the bush. What would most people do with the holodeck? You're telling me that there isn't a, a, like a certain type of person that would want to feel the life of a man drain out of his body as they like strangle them. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think his name is Lieutenant Commander Tuvok. <laughs> man, if you could have the safety on so that they could choke you, but not choke you enough to where you actually die, <laughs> the computer would know right where to stop. Ooh, would you oh. yuck that yum? We're not yucking any yums, Rob. <laughs> So obviously the phone ringing is not for the butler. Mr. Leonard Mumford, just a moment, please. And this is when we meet our hero, Boxcar, played by Buggy Hackett, and he is sleeping on the couch covered in newspapers. Mr. Boxcar. <laughs> That's one of the funniest jokes in the entire thing. That like legit made me fucking guffaw. Not like a good sleep with a newspaper. <laughs> Yeah, upon first and second watch, and then now whatever umpteenth watch, I still forget that's going to happen. <laughs> when you see those <laughs> newspapers fly off the couch and this rotund gentleman like roll off of it, it's amazing. So he's wearing what I can only guess is a union suit and slacks pulled up way past his midriff and green suspenders and a brown derby is this supposed to take place in 1983 i think so yeah i think it's supposed to be the present. i think because of the country club god it's just interesting yeah, for it's, sure it, uh, it's got it because of the, the like turquoise green polo that he wears at the country club yeah with yeah the three alligators so odd <laughs> with the three lacoste <laughs> so he's on the phone with gucci's hello gucci's who am i speaking to please Mario, I am Mario. This is Boxcar. Yeah, I want to order some more socks. Oh, a couple dozen pair. Do me a favor this time. Cut all the toes off. <laughs> Just for old time's sake, I'm trying to reminisce. Oh, man, pre-cut. Mario, charge it to my account. <laughs> And charge it to my account. So then he tells the butler, Tuckins, I just ordered more socks. I don't need any more socks, but I love to say, charge it to my account. <laughs> I think I just like to say, charge it to my account. This is exactly the kind of thing an employee loves hearing about from their boss. <laughs> I have too much money, so I'm buying things frivolously instead of giving you a raise. Yeah. Charge it to my account. <laughs> Charge it to my account. They also might have a roundabout way of going, well, we're giving you a place to live, and indentured yeah. servitude is better than on the street, right? Well, you got to assume that they're paying him pretty generously, you know, out of class solidarity. You'd think. But you'd be wrong. Well, the butler seems rather delighted with Boxcar which is a stark difference from the butler we met in Cows, who was derisive to the cows. He hated And it them. does lead you to think what 
Mr. Branford was like then, pre-meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> if I was some multimillionaire's manservant of many years and he died and left his wealth to some strangers, <laughs> I would be a little irritated. Actually, according to the will, the cats own the house. You'd be their tenants. I've been watching a lot of Simpsons lately, so... <laughs> nice. What? Fuck these pilots. You guys want to do a, a podcast about the Simpsons? <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. But, like, we'll have, like, a unique take from our comedy background, so it'll be better. <laughs> yeah, it'll just be, like, me laughing loudly at things and then you two making cogent points. Remember the line when Mark said? Do you, you remember? Do you remember that? That was funny. She was, she was like, Homer, what are you, Homer, what are you doing, Homer? It's definitely funnier that the butler is okay with them rather than just being a dick. He's kind of like the butler from The Critic. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> oh, my God. What? I thought he was really derisive. But in that wry sort of way. I'm sorry, Master Jay. I did so want to scrub your dainties, but they somehow caught fire. Why do they burn so long? Yeah, that British way where he's accepted his fate, but still a little resemble. So this is also when we learn the main conflict of this show. Boxcar's desire for social acceptance. Sir, about the dinner party you planned for next week. Oh, yeah, we invited all kind of society people. How many of them swells accepted my invite? None, sir. None. That's the fourth party with none. A total of none. <laughs> no one in the neighborhood has any interest in meeting with them, which I find hard to believe no one wants to meet them, even out of morbid curiosity or the fact that an idiot just inherited a lot of money and they might be smelling some blood in the water. <laughs> I mean, what kind of rich people are these? The boring kind, it seems like. How can we make friends with them? Where do they hang out? Well, sir, most of the time they hang out at Bellhaven Country Club. What a swell idea, Philkins. We'll join a country club. And in order to do that, he needs to invite over the next door neighbors. Milton and Hortense? Who also happen to be the sister of the deceased multimillionaire, Mr. Bradford. I thought that was her. Oh. No, the woman was his sister. Oh, yeah. Hortense. Hortense is his yeah. Woman Hortense. And then the the guy is not her butler? No, the other guy is her husband. Oh. She is the late Mr. Bransford's sister, and uh, they happen to be prominent members of Bellhaven. That was some, like, chef's kiss exposition writing. Like, okay, I get it. I get the relationship to these characters in, like, two lines. Thank God. Oh, yeah. They could have easily been, like, a phone call and be like, what? Your late husband? Oh, but that's why these hobos are living here. No, it's just clean cut. You should talk to her. She'll get you into the country club. But I find it hard to believe they have not met them before. I mean, she probably thought she was getting some of that money, right? Yeah. They would have met at the funeral, at least. Or somewhere. I would think, right? If these hobos were even allowed in, you know. <laughs> in the funeral. Well, because I'm also wondering, how long has it been since they inherited the money? Enough for them to create accounts at yeah. Gucci's and things like that but not long enough for them to meet their neighbors who were related to the guy who left them the money. They haven't been there very long. I feel like they're just getting settled in. Yeah, maybe we're at month three. three yeah. yeah, that's why he's still sleeping on the couch under a pile of newspapers. And the sister obviously had to allot some time to grieve. 
Yeah, she seems like the sentimental type. For sure. <laughs> so Boxcar tells the butler. That's a nifty idea, Filkins. Get him on the phone, invite him over here for dinner tonight, okay? And I'll go tell Barney and the kids. Goes outside, and the butler turns and addresses the portrait of Mr. Bradford over the fireplace. You always had a strange sense of humor, sir. <laughs> I love that line. That's such a fun line. It's really great. I think it would have been great if mr bradford showed up as a ghost and provided guidance to the hobos oh my oh, god holy fuck. i didn't think you could make this better and you just did You're a genius that's such a great idea he'd be kind of like yoda ghost yoda. like a wise irreverent but also have all kinds of wacky stories about how he spent his wealth the ted turner almost that would have totally been the mid-season pivot <laughs> Mm -hmm. He could have even just been a disembodied voice. People just could have come to the fireplace and talked to the yeah. portrait, and he would give them wisdom. Like that show with the dad that was in the crystal. Are you talking about the noozles? No, another world. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, they had the theme song was that like. No, oh, god damn it! Now I can't remember because I got the fucking. I'd like to buy the world a coat. Perfect harmony. Hey, speaking of, if isn't this episode presented by Coca-Cola or something? Yeah, if you look at the production label at the end, it's like Columbia, which was owned by Coke. Our show is always presented by Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Think Coca-Cola. <laughs> yes, and no other Coke. So Boxcar heads outside, and we meet Barney, played by the greatness of G.W. Bailey, a.k.a. Lieutenant Harris from the Police Academy. Police work is what you are here for. Fucking fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Great actor. asshole actor of all time. Totally. Totally. 102 credits to his name. He's been working since 1975 and he is still working today. He's killing it. GW Bailey is the person who is acting the most in this. And now I don't mean that in a bad way because, like, the kid in Boxcar are acting, you know, as hobos. Yeah. G.W. Bailey has his character down. Oh, yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. You really know when someone is commanding the stage because they are with people who aren't doing it, right? They, they're multiple takes. As we said, Boxcar or Buddy Hackett was freezing up, right? So he totally was like, okay, when he sits, I'm going to stand. That's when we act out the scene where we're being polite and proper and stuff, you know, and I will move my hand like this, and that is a gesture for you to go do that. I've seen it happen on stage before. When you have different levels of actor, someone has to just be like, Jesus Christ, we need to get through the scene, and this is how it's going to happen. Wow. Yeah, yeah, totally. Buddy Hackett's more comedic acting, more loose, I guess. Yeah, a little more slapsticky. Who knows how many fucking takes they had to do of this shit. And the kid, the guy who plays the kid who we'll meet in a sec, I think he is that right middle ground. He is a, he's an actor. He's trying to make a living. Cool. Let's get through the scene. So I found this comment on YouTube and I could not find anything to corroborate this claim, but this is from YouTube user MXXRE and it's from February of this year, 2022. Huh. What's so crazy about this pilot is GW Bailey left St. Elsewhere for it. If you ever feel like a flop, think of this comment. 
Oh, man. Yeah. He was on the first season of St. Elsewhere, a show that I have never watched a single episode, but keeps coming up on this podcast. No, it seems very bad. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard this theory. There is a theory out there that all television shows take place in the snow globe <laughs> yeah, yeah. of staying elsewhere oh, yeah. because because of like guest stars and all of that kind of shit. That is mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, very weird. I love it. Yeah, I totally subscribe to that theory. The choices you make as an actor when you leave because you think something else might take off or for whatever reason, right? Like contract negotiations. You know, I, I, I produced that show Parks and Recollection that Rob Lowe is a part of where they recap Parks and Rec. And there was a definite point where Rob left the show and there was still like two more seasons. And Rob went off to make The Grinder, which is one of the funniest sitcoms ever made and unfortunately only got one season. Really? I've, I've never watched this and I'm going to find it right now. It's one of those shows where like Family Guy got a reboot, but the grinder didn't for some reason, you know, just it's and I think it's a streaming, you know, all those shows that were like right up to the edge of Netflix. You just couldn't make it work. It's never about like the ratings. It's never about like, oh, you know, if people like it, whatever. It's all about deals mm-hmm. that are going on behind the scenes. That's why we have so many of these stupid pilots, even the good ones. Like, look well. Yeah. It was never going to get made. No, it was going to get made, but then NBC switched leadership. Yeah. Well, there you go. And he was like, I want to make my own name with this network. We shan't be making look well. But it's all about shit going on behind the scenes. Those cigar chomping. It's never like they're going to put on this pilot, and if a bunch of people really like it, it'll go to series. Like, no, that was never going to happen. They're contractually obligated to put this to air this at some point, so they have a dead spot in the schedule, and that's why it's on. Yeah, I guess, like, streaming is really a double-edged sword. Because a, a lot of this shit does oh, happen with streaming now, specifically with Netflix. They'll air a show... And be like, oh, well, you know, I guess two and a half seasons is just enough and <laughs> and just cancel it out of nowhere. Well, it's that whole idea of people who are chronically online thinking that anyone gives a shit about their feelings about the media. They oh, love. 100%. <laughs> neighbors up in arms because the hobos got it good. There goes the neighborhood. I really like Barney. The dinosaur? Oh, I love you, too. <laughs> no, the, oh. the fucking hobo. That's G.W. Bailey, right? <laughs> yeah, G.W. Bailey. He's Barney, and I really like him. He's a wellspring of hobo culture. Oh, yeah. He, he informs the uninformed. He's not just down on his luck. He loves being a hobo. He represents the romantic hobo life. There was like an episode of Andy Griffith, I think, where there's like a hobo that hangs out with children. And like, it's... Oh, you're talking about Ernest T, who would come down from the mountains. Yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> there was a certain point in time where you could potentially just pick up odd jobs and live. Yeah. He has a conversation later on that I have actually had before, which is the difference between a hobo and your run-of-the-mill unhoused person it's like three like hobo bum and something else right yeah hobo bum and tray yeah hobo is an itinerant work which is nor is more noble yeah. than being just homeless yeah hobo is supposedly short for uh, ho boy which was that they 
brought their own hoe and would go work on farms. I've got the etymology here of hobo from the God's Honest Truth Wikipedia. The only certain detail about its origin is that the word was first noticed in American English around 1890. Some have said that it derives from the term hoboy, coming from the hoe they are using and meaning farmhand or a greeting such as hoboy. Others have suggested that it comes from the railroad greeting hobo or a symbolic abbreviation of homeward bound. It could also come from the words homeless boy or homeless bohemian. Interesting. Very interesting. Wow. I will say about the train yard greeting, I had a professor of photography in college who had worked in a train yard in the 60s or 70s, and he said that everybody called each other baby. Uh Uh-huh. Just like two very masculine guys like, what's up, baby? How you doing? So not like Hollywood big shot, baby. Yeah, no, no. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wow. Hobos are mythical. They're like, they're almost magical beings in the American cultural zeitgeist. Like a fairy or a leprechaun. I 100% am on that level with you because in an ideal world, wouldn't it be great to have zero responsibilities but still be cognizant and somehow have backing to stand on? (laughs) Does not exist. And I think that's also why I dislike crust punks so much. Lord of mercy. tireless laborer who shows up works really hard doesn't ask for much and is most importantly happy we don't want to think about how hard such a lifestyle is i believe that's why hobos and clowns became so intertwined oh Oh, totally interesting like when you get into the rodeo aspect of it too it's almost and i'm not even joking it's like commedia dell'arte you know oh totally like classic clowning i have a friend who was a playwriting a professor and she told me that every semester she gets at least one script about a magical hobo really <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast about one magical hobo and a normal guy and a guest <laughs> and that magical hobo is me so we just get this onslaught of hobo tropes barney has set up a hobo campsite in the back he has his laundry strung up between two statues and he's sitting at a campfire with a cauldron over it and he's making mulligan stew which is just whatever you can put in a pot mythical hobo food another part of american folklore you know or american history it's very similar to stone soup remember that i really like the line it's just not quite the same without borrowed meat (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a great fucking line there are no jokes in this about pies on windowsills and then floating towards them (laughs) the line about borrowed meat that's fantastic and they are singing big rock candy mountain yeah. Sheriffs have to tip their hats and the railroad bulls are blind. There's a lake full of stew, lots of whiskey too. You can paddle all around in a big canoe and a big rock candy mountain. Great song. Which is a, a folk song specifically about Hobo Paradise, which has a deep-rooted tradition in cocaine. Ooh. Ooh. What? It's a magical place that goes back to medieval Europe where they would have a life of ease. Cocaine is C-O-C-K-A-Y-N-E. Wait, what? Yeah. Huh. And uh, looking up the, the, the complete lyrics to it is like when you look up the complete lyrics to the National Anthem. <laughs> yeah, they just keep going? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
You're surprised at what you'll find. They've achieved a life of ease with wealth, and yet they're singing about pining for paradise. Ronnie, when are you going to stop cooking out here? And sleeping out here? And wandering out here? I'm going to move into the house. Old habits die hard. You know me, Box. I like to slumber under the stars and dream among the moonbeams. <laughs> we don't have to live like hobos anymore. We got a big house. Cool, we don't have to want anymore, but I have cultivated a life for myself that I was doing just fine with. Okay, so did the three hobos inherit the money equally? Like, they all get a three equal shares. Or did Boxcar get the money and he brought his two friends along? I, I believe that it's actually a trust sort of situation. Oh, the hobo trust. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have no idea. Yeah, the hobo trust. Does it explain in the theme song? Yeah, the hobos went to an account and he set up a trust. And before you know it, they were equal partners, regular dividends on the quarterly. Before you know it, they were snorting some angel does. <laughs> Boxcar is trying to join society, and Barney is pulling him in the opposite direction. So this would have definitely been the conflict of the series. Oh, totally. But they skate right past that. <laughs> it's a beautiful representation of male friendship. I am glad there is very little toxicity in this friend group. That's for sure. Oh. You think there could have been like outdoor boxing matches and stuff. And not just because they're hobos, but just because they have nothing to do, <laughs> you know? Make the butlers fight. No, hey, woo. Get all, get all the butlers from the neighborhood. Instead of bum fights, it's butler fights. Wow, what a flipping that on their head. The season finale. Butt fights. <laughs> Butt fights. So then we meet the kid, who's Patrick Collins, who we should all recognize as uncredited white guy from the Chappelle show. I recognized him from that for sure. Oh my God. I forgot about that. And I've watched this so much. <laughs> and he was also on Super Train. Don't know what that is. Which I'm not yeah. familiar with, but I'm looking up a picture right now and it looks like something I would be very much into. Nuclear powered train that went from coast to coast. It was sort of like the love boat on a train. Oh, how could it fail? Wow, is that real? Oh yeah, it's very real. I it was very expensive. They had a miniature train that would crash a lot. A real TV show, but not a real train. Yes. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Because they're bringing back the love boat, but it's a reality show. Oh, fuck. oh Why Christ do they have almighty. Do hey, kid, how you doing? Sit down, have some mulligan. Oh, no, thanks, Barney. See, me and the chauffeur took the limo out for some tacos. The kid was hanging out with the limo driver getting tacos, and he's wearing the chauffeur's hat. And he's really worried that Boxcar is going to be mad at him. Have you been driving the limousine again, kid? <laughs> yeah, see, it's the only time the chauffeur gets to ride in the back. The chauffeur's supposed to ride in the front. That's his job. He's his chauffeur. He has a license to ride in the front. You're not mad at me, are you, Boxcar? I'm not mad. Oh, thanks. <laughs> they have a big hug so they can put that in the promos and credit. He just loves his friend. He, yeah, they're very loving to each other. He's a chauffeur. He's got a license to sit up front. That's why he's a chauffeur. <laughs> he's just trying to tell the kid, you know, like, you don't have to drive anymore. That's what we're actively giving your taco friend money for. I kind of expected a, a joke about the chauffeur. Wow. Wow. <laughs> 
very odd to have a nickname the kid when you have an active bald spot. Yeah, you're clearly in your <laughs> early 40s. Yeah. I could not find this guy's age. I looked all over the place. His IMDb picture looks really fucking old. Wait, they don't have his age on the IMDb even? No. Okay. I couldn't find it anywhere. So he's probably actually a homeless guy that just <laughs> wandered on the set. <laughs> wandered on the super train. <laughs> <laughs> Boxcar tells the other hobos, We're gonna join a country club! Country club? Us and the... Together with the... Wow! I knew you'd say that! <laughs> Box, Box, if I were you, I'd think twice about joining a country club. They may not be our kind of people. Come on! That's gonna be our ticket to social acceptance! Big problem with the show is that they just love each other too much. There is zero conflict between our main characters. They need to be a little bit more bickery with each other. Yeah, I wanted to see more, like, hat slaps, like... Gilligan and the Skipper. I figured there should be more boxcar taking the lead. No, this is what we do in high society more than we actually get in this show. Oh, you just want some casual <laughs> violence, huh? Well, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> can't can't show anything on TV these days, guys. <laughs> Certainly couldn't in 1983. That's true. So the butler comes out and tells them... Excuse me, Mr. Boxcar, I telephoned the Crockers, and Mr. Crocker said they'd be delighted to join you for dinner tonight. And we smash cut to Hortense. Are you out of your mind? Dinner with those animals? Never. Who is the next door neighbor, and whose name I will be going out of my way to say as many times as possible during this podcast. Hortense, 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 Hortense. Podtense. Or tense. Feels like a fairy tale name. It is, yeah. I'm sure it's real, but I, I can't believe even in nineteen eighty three you could get away with saying or tense. I've met a lot of people in my life. Go on. Met a lot of people. Never met anybody named Hortense. Nobody's parents were that cruel. Now I mean I'm looking up the name and it has an etymology. Really? But it like you <laughs> why? Why Why choose that name over anything else? You're trying to have a child. And if it's a boy, we've got a name picked out. Hortense. Yeah, Hortense. Now, if it's a boy, it'll be Aloysius. Obviously. But now I'm thinking, if it's a girl? Hortense. How about Hortense? It's a French feminine form of Hortensia. Hortense. And it's a Latin origin, meaning of the garden. So do with that as you will. Hortense. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I don't know if I want it for my child. I say go with it. If I was going to be born a what my parents believed to be a woman at the time, my name would have been Hortensia. Really? And I think I would have rather been Madison in that matter. Hortense. Yeah, for oh. sure. I've known a few Madisons and mostly men. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Hortense. Hortense, of course, played by Sue Ann Gilf-villain. Yeah. <laughs> Gilf-villain. Gilf-villain. We all know that name. She's a gilf. <laughs> She's doing her best uh, Margaret Dumont impression from the Marx Brothers. My, oh, my, my heavens, I say. <laughs> How inappropriate. Accurate. They did her. At their house? With the hobo? Oh, my brother would be so ashamed. Very much like if you're watching the American version of Ghosts. She's like the character Hetty in that. Very much so. 
based off of Hortons. <laughs> they have given us Bel Air's first clothesline. Yes, I know. And that campfire. The smoke comes straight into the bedroom. It's giving my migraine a headache. I wish that it had played up more Marx Brothers energy. Yeah. I think it would have been better if the hobos were more mischievous and chaotic. Mm. A little more Marx Brothers Three Stooges. You're right. Yeah. So we also meet Milton Crocker, who's played by Graham Jarvis. Yeah, you have to understand. Until your brother Harmon died and left them all his money, they were drifters, gypsies. Oh, I'd settle for gypsies. At least we'd have violin music. <laughs> Another hardworking character actor with 140 roles. Wow. He was Charlie Haggers in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Yes, I saw that. I would just like to report back to the listeners. I still have not watched more than the first episode of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. (gasps) (laughs) Despite. uh, It's all on Daily Motion. (laughs) Yeah, who who sent it to us? Brad. Brad. How do you shit in 2055, man? Brad let us know that it was on Daily Motion. Brad sent it to us. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Thanks, Brad. Brad. We'll have him back. Graham Jarvis played a Zach Dorn on TNG, and he called Troy handsome. (laughs) He probably figures that we don't get to see a lot of handsome women out this way. He's probably right. Was this pre-bathtub amphibian, Troy, I assume? Yeah, I think that was season six. Okay, okay. Why y'all know so much about Star Trek. <laughs> this is the fourth dinner they've invited us to, and we're going to have to accept. I will not be their guest in that beautiful home, which they own, along with this beautiful home, along with controlling interest in Bransford Industries that pays my salary. This is when we learn that the hobos own controlling interest in the family business. So awesome. These people are essentially the hobos' wards. <laughs> it really does not make any sense maybe it it shows a kind of innocence that the hobos need to be accepted by these people who owe them their livelihoods it's like a michael scott situation you're their boss but you're desperate for them to be your friends yeah they're scott's tots (laughs) yeah exactly hey mr scott what you gonna do what you gonna do make your dreams come true we're gonna get a fun hobo dinner party this will surely lead to a crescendo of classist juxtaposition humor of course we're in the mansion living room and the three hobos are dressed up. Barney and the kid are wearing regular tuxedos, but they have Chuck Taylors on, which is just a classic thing to do. <laughs> um, and Barney is wearing his cab driver hat. What kind of hat is that? What do you call that? It's like a newsboy cap. Like a scally cap? It looks like a scally. Listeners, write in. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts telling us what your favorite hat is. <laughs> boxcar it's like he's wearing his jacket inside out that's what it looks like to me i exactly thank you but this is very fresh prince yeah right when he goes to the private school and turns his jacket inside out oh my god i forgot about that yeah but this very scenario that's happening right now mirrors the fresh prince of bel-air will smith has to go to a dinner party and they give him a tuxedo which he wears in his unique fresh prince way oh my god it does just like the hobos are wearing their tuxedos. Will Smith, a confirmed slap hat. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth! That's right. Mr. Slaps, come on. We need more slap information. The Fresh Prince was written by Quincy Jones. Oh, Quincy Quincy Jones. Jones. Yeah, Quincy Jones is responsible for the Fresh Prince. Have you guys ever heard the... Or heard? Have you ever listened... Jesus fucking... 
Right. Have you heard the tale of the three old Have you have you ever read the interview with the Quincy Jones where he talks about Michael Jackson and he's like, Yeah, Michael, he was kind of different. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> it's like, huh, really? Wow, what a hot odd. take. I never would have expected that. Yeah, and he didn't actually sound like that. He actually had a really deep voice. Hey, Michael, what happened to your voice? This is my real voice. My name is Leon Kompowski, and I'm a bricklayer from Patterson, New Jersey. <laughs> Say, hey, yeah, this is me, Michael. <laughs> Yar, it's me, Michael Jackson. <laughs> and I love singing songs <laughs> What I do to put smiles on their faces is change my voice to be a bit softer, see? <laughs> But that's interesting. I love when when TV shows parallel each other or use the exact same script. I think Boy Meets World and uh-huh. Dinosaurs had oh, a yeah. same like werewolf story. Really? That stuff happens all the time. It's like when someone calls out a comedian for stealing their joke on Twitter. It's like, well, maybe it just wasn't a good joke. And that's why it's really easy to come up with. Maybe it was something that everyone else has thought of. Yeah. And like it just so happened to make it on screen. And that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad idea, but it just may not be a unique idea it's an obvious trope it's an obvious we've got this character who is low status and we want to put him in with a bunch of high status people and what's the easiest thing to do a dinner party or some kind of party where they have to be ultra on their best behavior and obviously it's going to be a complete train wreck i mean there's no way it couldn't be it's low-hanging fruit yeah so we also get the setup that the kid can't keep his fly up. Because his pants are too tight. Tight pants is no excuse. Speaking of low-hanging fruit. <laughs> the butler says, Mr. Herbert, oh, call me kid. Excuse me, Mr. Kid. You're showing a white flag, sir. Which I've never heard before. Yeah, very odd. Quickly changing to XYZ in just a matter of years. The the greatest uh, your zipper is down joke, in my opinion. I think I got gum on my pants. No, no. From the <laughs> Pee Wee HBO special where the mailman, Mike, has his zipper down. <laughs> and Pee Wee goes, <laughs> Hey, man, man, Mike. You get a license to sell hot dogs? <laughs> <laughs> then Hortense and Milton show up, and the hobos all accidentally insult her for being old and ugly. They just can't help themselves. Aren't you exquisitely beautiful this evening, Elizabeth? My name is Hortense. The resemblance to Elizabeth Taylor is uncanny. Excuse me. <laughs> it's a mistake that's been made before. It has? Gotta just need to comment on a woman's appearance. There's nothing I can do. I have to. Look, I just gotta, I gotta neg this. <laughs> you remember my friends? Herbert and Bernard? Love your dress. Oh. Uh, stunning how your, your hair frames your face. <laughs> Then she starts talking to the portrait of the multimillionaire. Such a dear, sweet, generous man. Harmon, how could you? <laughs> Why did you do this to me? Yeah. You had such an odd sense of humor. But hey, they're trying to make it through the dinner, both parties. They're giving it the old college try. This is when we get the duck story. Yep. Mm-hmm. The multimillionaire, Mr. Bradford, was wandering around a lake in an existential quandary, and Boxcar says... He was wandering around by a shore of a lake. It was like in a maze. And I'm pretty sure he meant to say a haze, because he's like yep. moving his hands yep. around his head. It's how much attention people gave a shit in the editing of this. <laughs> he 
So he's a rich asshole his whole life, and now he's bored with the pursuit of money, and he needs a new kick. A duck had washed ashore. It was all covered with oil, and he was all stuck together. He couldn't even move his little wingers. Because apparently there was an oil spill in a lake, or lakes were just that polluted in 1983. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the thing? Like, every lake in, in L.A. is just a disgusting cesspool? It probably was in the late 70s. I've got a quick story. Oh, that's right. We're, 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 we're talking to Hollywood Rob. Yeah, I'm currently wearing my sunglasses with my hair slicked back. Yes. Now, I live in Eagle Rock, which is the furthest I think you can be from anywhere glitzy. But the other day, my significant other went to the beach. And, hey, we live near an ocean. I'm going to go put my feet in, right? Yeah. She puts her feet in not two minutes. And as she's walking back to her car, she notices a giant, dicky oil splotch on the bottom of her phone. She Googles it like, what the fuck is this? And yeah, it may be tar. It might be animal stuff. It doesn't matter. But they are these little balls of what they're called like ocean tar. And you have to use like rubbing alcohol to get them off. I will tell you when I was a kid. You ate one. We lived in Florida for a little while, and I ate one, and now I'm a gigantic freak, <laughs> as you see now. No, so we moved to Miami for like six months, and the only time that I have ever been to Miami Beach, which is one of the beaches that people are like, this is the most beautiful place on planet Earth. Party in the city. We had the tar balls everywhere, Ugh. and my sister and brother and I were just covered in tar Ugh. when we left just just sticky and disgusting so you know how the duck felt <laughs> yeah basically they had to pick me up and wash me off with dawn soap this podcast is sponsored by dawn soap and <laughs> lots and lots of rocks yeah and then you got eaten by three hobos right <laughs> so he tells this long protracted story about how the multimillionaire cleaned off the duck and saves it life and Buddy, the actor, he's just struggling to get it out. Oh, God, it's painful. And then he wiped out his little duck eyes. And his duck just flicked his eyes at him. And then he polished up that duck's beak till it shone like gold. And then the duck spoke as if to say, Thank you. And Hortense finishes his story saying, And the duck flew away. Nah, we ate him. <laughs> This got a genuine laugh out of me. It is a pull the rug out from under you situation because like it still doesn't make point A to B on how they created a relationship with this rich man. Did they share the duck with the old man? I think yeah, so. The four of them made it. So that makes my thesis a little bit more clear that this man is suffering from dementia rather than yeah. trying to get a new lease on life. Rather than just being an eccentric millionaire. Multi-millionaire. They didn't talk about putting... Kleenex boxes on his feet or anything. <laughs> and uh, the jars of urine? Oh, we'll hang on to those. So I'm fairly certain this joke was written because of Buddy Hackett, a joke he told on The Tonight Show about ducks. And <laughs> he was actually on The Tonight Show a lot. Like, he was a regular with, like, Don yeah. Rickles. and To get that job. To be an, a guest on The Tonight Show? Yeah, just that's all I want to do. Man. Just let me just talk and talk, and people can do whatever <laughs> they want. That's the dream. If I were writing this show, we would eventually have gotten a flashback 
where we at least meet the multimillionaire and realize that there's some kind of special meaning or wisdom behind him giving all his money to the hope. Oh man. That has to be the plan for episode two, right? Cause you have to like redo the pilot in a new unique way because you got to catch the new viewers and you also got to catch up the old viewers. I think if it were an anime, you would just like constantly be seeing these flashbacks and you know, and it would take 136 episodes to get through season one. Yeah. For him to wash the duck. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Bilkins brings in champagne and boxcar gives a traditional hobo toast. When that train is disappearing (laughs) and the night is growing cold, it's time to drink our wine down before it gets too old. While they are engaged in toasting, the butler waves and the kid to zip up his fly and the, the kid awkwardly crosses the room and stands behind Hortense and then zips up his fly and intentionally gets her dress caught in it. But we're supposed to believe it's unintentional. He, in order to do this, he would have had to have been humping her leg. We talked about Frasier earlier. This is an exact scene when Niles is trying to help Daphne with her oh, zipper that's God. stuck, and then he accidentally gets his tie stuck. Yep. But it's done in such a better way because as they're moving around the house, Frazier comes in and Frazier goes, <laughs> Niles, there's something on your tie. <laughs> Dr. Cream was helping me with my dress and now he's caught. Yes, he is. <laughs> that's like probably my favorite fraser joke so i just had to get it out there no my favorite fraser joke is it was in the later seasons when daphne was pregnant and someone said oh do you know the sex yet and miles says do we that's how we got pregnant (laughs) (laughs) Ah, god damn it so they go into the dining room and they the kid awkwardly sits next to Hortense in the seat that Boxcar wanted. Uh-huh. That's my seat. I gotta sit here, Buck. Why? <laughs> See, I've grown very attached to Mrs. Crocker. Boxcar asks her about sponsoring them for the country club, whom the multimillionaire apparently helped start. Well, my brother was one of the founders. Yeah. Is there anything he can't do? Yeah, see, that's the thing. He's he helped start the country club. Yeah, but they're not just automatically members of the country club. That should have come with his estate. That's a plot hole. That's a plot hole. Yeah, if you ask me. She laughs in their faces. You <laughs> member at Bellhaven. <laughs> Look how excited she is. What a bitch. She gets up to go pee, and her dress is ripped off. <laughs> But she's wearing full body underwear, so it's not really that big of a deal. Her dress gets ripped off displaying another dress. Yeah, displaying very sexy laundry. And then she just storms out angrily. Come, Milton. I have had quite enough fun for one evening. And Boxcar is like shaking his head. Now... We're going to stop the show and play a game. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. So we've got a little game. We're talking hobos. So we're going to do a game called Hobo Not Real Hobo. (laughs) Hobo Nobo? Hobo Nobo. Hobo Nobo. (laughs) The two of you will have to suss out if this is a real hobo or a fake hobo based on the name. Hobo No Hobo. Hobo No Hobo. 
Hobo, hobo. I love you, bro. No hobo. I love you, bro. No hobo. So the first one, is this a hobo or not a real hobo? Dishwasher Pete. I'm going to say real hobo. Stuart, you are correct. Wow. Dishwasher Pete was a real hobo. He wrote a, a popular zine. How popular can a zine be? <laughs> called Dishwasher. His goal was to wash dishes in every state. And uh, <laughs> he once went to a restaurateur co- convention and met R.I.P. Bob Dole and asked him what his advice was for the dishwashers of America. <laughs> and Bob, Bob Dole's advice was just keep washing. Of course it was. <laughs> yeah. Just keep washing. Bob Dole. Don't do anything else. I need you right where you're at. Keep your head down. We, look, we, this country needs dishwashers. Dishwashers are what make this country. <laughs> Vernon Praiseworthy. Go ahead, Rob. Not a real hobo. You are correct. Praiseworthy, come on. Hey, hey, hey. That could be a real guy. It's just, it was too many syllables for me. I called fake. (laughs) So Vernon Praiseworthy was a character from the film The Billion Dollar Hobo, starring Tim Conway. Oh, Lord. He was the only heir to his uncle's fortune, who faced poverty and misfortune during the Great Depression, but managed to build up his riches despite wow. and to actually inherit his money, much like... Uh, Our heroes of this show? No, what's the other movie where he has to, like, spend all the money? Brewster's Millions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Much like that, to become eligible for the inheritance. He has to suffer like his uncle did, becoming a migrant hobo for a time. Like, what? (laughs) Soon after, Vernon and the dog sent to protect him are caught up in a dog napping scheme. Oh, I'm always up for a good dog napping. That's a great crime. I thought you were just going to make up some hobo names. Yeah, me too. I didn't realize these were real hobos and fantasy hobos. No, Fan no. fiction hobos. You got too used to <laughs> my shitty game from the, the John Denver episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, question number three, or hobo number three, I should say. Chester Jade Lampwick. That is a fictional hobo from The Simpsons. You are correct. He who was... created Itchy and Scratchy. That's right. Mm. Do you remember the name of the original Itchy and Scratchy cartoon that he created? Proletariat and Vermin. <laughs> the, the original cartoon that he creates is Itchy the Lucky Mouse in Manhattan Madness in 1919. Yes. Which would put Chester J. Lampwick's age between like 80 and 100 years old. I got my solid gold house, my rocket car. What else could I want? <laughs> And his millions of dollars left over. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hobo number four. Utah Phillips. Go ahead, Stuart. Going to say that is a real hobo. You are correct. Wow. We're killing it. Utah Phillips was a real hobo born Bruce Duncan Phillips. He was a poet, train hopper, and singer-songwriter. He's a regular The Kid. Yes, he <laughs> certainly was. His biggest song was probably Good Night Loving Trail, which was covered by Tom Waits at some point. He was a, you know, this is something that will come up a lot with hobos. He was a, a union supporter, and he was a member of the Wobblies, the industrial workers of the world. And eventually he ran for Senate in 68 as the candidate for the Peace and Freedom Party. Wow. And what a hobo. 
yeah, it got him blacklisted from his job as a state archivist. Wait, he was a hobo though, right? He was a hobo. Yeah, but hobos work, remember? Feels like a scab of a hobo. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> a lot of like the most famous hobos. Huge supporters of workers' rights. Yeah, imagine that. With their These own... hobos come into a little bit of money and they only care about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> they start wanting to sleep indoors. Hobo number five. Lonesome Roads. Hobo number five. It's hobo number five. Ah! Bum, 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 bum. Good, Rob. I'm going to say real hobo. Ah, no. Lonesome Rhodes was a fake hobo. His full name was Larry Rhodes, and he is from the film A Face in the Crowd from 1957. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love Andy that Griffith. movie. Played, played by Andy Griffith in his first Best film. Best role ever. Which seem, that seems late. 57 seems late yeah. for Andy Griffith. No time for sergeants. That was where the Andy Griffith character came from. As, as we've talked about on this show, Andy Griffith's show, one of those shows that just makes me depressed immediately. Oh, it's a terrible show. Yeah, facing the crowd, though. What an incredible movie. I've never seen it. Do you, should I watch Worth it tonight? It. Yeah, you should. Really? Okay. Andy Griffith will blow your mind. And it's it's what the Gabbo episode of The Simpsons is based off of. Really? I mean, you'll, get, I mean, I'm, you'll right. see. Very loosely. The only other time I think he ever played a bad guy was in Spy Hard, where he's an incredible supervillain. He was in Spy Hard? I don't remember that from seeing it in the Dollar Theater. I think he was completely made of steel. (laughs) (laughs) Here's our last hobo. Hobo number six. Haywire Matt. Oh. Oh, Stuart. Stuart, I heard you first. I am going to say that is real. He was. Haywire Mac was a real hobo. His real name was Harry Kirby McClintock. He was a singer-songwriter, and he was best known for a song that features in this show, The Big Rock Candy Mountain. Wow. Much like Utah Phillips, he was a lifelong member of the IWW and wrote their marching song, Hallelujah, I'm a Bum. Hallelujah, I'm a bum. Hallelujah, bum again. Hallelujah, give us a handout to revive us again. <laughs> oh my god. We're going to have to cut in a lot of hobo music. A bum just lays there till he dies. That's true. That's true. <laughs> we learned it in this episode. G.W. Bailey knows what's up. Yeah, they told us. <laughs> so we've been trying for weeks for both Mike and I to be on this podcast. Yeah. And Mike will come on in the future because... Boy, does he have a treasure trove of TV and pilots specifically that he could choose from. Can't wait. But Mike, like I said earlier, showed this episode to me. And Mike was the first person I ever made podcasts with on a professional level. And I kind of, I would say, owe my career to the man. And he has, by reading his books, reading his interview books, his fictional books, I think expanded a phrase from some of his books, my humor IQ in a way that I didn't know it could get to. Wow. Things I would never have known about, I learned through Mike. So I'm so glad he was able to at least pass on a message for this episode. Yeah, we're very appreciative. Just when you think you've discovered everything, something like There Goes the Neighborhood is pinched out right in your direction. Now, this one in particular intrigues me because it represents everything wrong about a comedy. It reminds me of fake food, totally inedible, 
totally without taste, without any nourishment. It's just not tethered to anything funny in any way. You know, like watching a kabuki production or a ceremony in the Amazon. that You just have no idea what's happening, but you, you just can't turn away. This was directed by Dick Martin of Roan and Martin's Laughing, a show that one could certainly criticize for being dated, but it did have its moments. And other people, professionals, were involved in this. The story was by an old-time comedy writer, an old-time now, I guess he wasn't at that time, in the early 80s, but his name was Dick Clement, and he was responsible for a very funny but lesser-known mid-70s sitcom called On the Rocks, which took place in a prison, and later worked with Tracy Ullman on her Tracy Takes On show, which was really funny. The screenplay of this debacle was by a guy named David L. Duclon, who had a great career in sitcom writing. He contributed to Laverne and Shirley, The Jeffersons, Silver Spoons, Punky Brewster, Family Matters. This guy was no slack. Beyond that, it features Buddy Hackett, who's a great comedian. But this goes to show you that certain comedic talents are very much tailored for very specific things. In Buddy's case, that would be appearing on stage and telling penis jokes, not necessarily playing a hobo who lives in a mansion. I love this type of shit. And this is shit. And the fact that it exists, kind of a fucking miracle. There is a lot of mediocrity out there. But mediocrity bores me. I find genius great. I find mediocrity boring. But I find the total opposite of genius also amazing. And this is a steaming pile of fucking American garbage that I love. Have you heard of what those three hobos did? Can that lead to anything good? Have you heard of what those three hobos did? One more thing that I should mention, and I'll let you get back. Hobos are fucking intelligent. They have to be to survive. They have street smarts. These dingleberries, they're mentally challenged at best, and at worst, mentally deranged. They wouldn't last a second out in the real world. And I say that, uh, having never met a hobo, and I hope to never meet a hobo. And that is why I loved There Goes the Neighborhood. If you want to um, listen to some other stuff I've made, I have a Vanderpump Rules recap podcast that's actually more comedy than it is recap called Vanderpump Robs. Mm. And uh, I'm currently working on a new podcast with my friend Bill Tilly, who is the biggest... MacGyver, A-Team, fucking, you know, Columbo-type guy. And it's called Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. And we just recorded 10 episodes. Um, we watched all the Predator movies, and then we watched other movies that we feel are on the Predator bubble, like uh, Robo War or Edge of Tomorrow, or I don't want to give away everything. That's going to be coming out this summer. And then the final plug would probably just be my Twitch stream, because if you watch me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash robsrobs, uh, there is a link to my Discord where all of my podcast projects live and people can talk about. So thanks again, dudes, for having me on the show. It's genuinely one of my favorite podcasts as of late, guys. It's great. <laughs> Thank thanks you so much, much, Rob. I can also attest that Rob's Discord channel is an absolute blast. Everyone is 
super awesome in there. Neighbors up in arms because the hobos got it good. There goes the neighborhood. So we are outside and Boxcar is berating the kid about ripping off uh, Hortense's dress. What if I apologize to Mrs. Crocker? Don't you go near Mrs. Crocker. She had enough for you. Don't talk to her. You want to talk to somebody? Go in the woods, talk to a bunny. <laughs> now, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to see that guy Hawthorne from the membership committee. I'm going to see him this afternoon right at the country club. Which is what he should have done in the first place. And is that right after the bird calls? Well, yeah, sort of. We haven't gotten quite there yet. There's a whole lot of shit happening in, like, this moment of the show. Okay, so Barney grabs Boxcar by the shoulders, and he's, it's, like, very weirdly horny. (laughs) Box! No, Box! No! (laughs) No! And Buddy Hackett is, like, is moaning back. It's very strange, and he makes him sit back down, and he's like, Look what's happening to us here. Sometimes I, I think we were better off when we were just three happy-go-lucky foes. And there's there's absolutely no reason why they can't continue to live a transient lifestyle, even though they have money now. Yeah. I mean, um, especially because they have money. Being transient is way yeah. more fun with money. Especially because they have money. They have money now. You can do whatever the talk. Of, talk to all the rich kids who decide to not go to college their first year. <laughs> yeah, go back back across Europe. <laughs> yeah, hike that Appalachian Trail. Here's a fun, quick sidebar. Go for it. One of my buddies from Boston. He, uh, his dad, in his fifties, decided to hike the Appalachian Trail. Did the entire thing by himself. He got back to Boston, and he sat down in a chair and they're all just excited to see him and he takes off (laughs) takes off his boots takes off his socks and one by one starts removing his fucking toenails got like trench foot oh my god God. (laughs) you wanted to see me well this is what i'm doing (laughs) yeah that's such a dad thing too This is when the kid does impressions of birds. Remember, we used to sleep under the stars, talk to the birds. (laughs) Which gets applause for some reason. Is that actually him doing the bird calls too? Because if so, that's very impressive. I don't think so. There is no way in hell that he is actually doing that. I actually spent a little while trying to figure out if that was him. Because I was like, well, if he can actually do that, there's got to be videos of him on YouTube doing it. This has got to be like a thing that he does. Yeah, like the kid who's really good with whips. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm certain if this was a real talent of Patrick Collins, there would be something. But there's just, there's really not a whole lot on this guy. He's just one of those actors that didn't do a whole lot. <laughs> All I know is I gotta watch Super Train. Yeah, it's Yes, Super Train is great. Also, Super Bus. Good lord. <laughs> also, Penn and Teller's Desert Bus. Check that one out. Oh. Ooh. It's a video for NES? For Saturn. Sega Saturn. I have a Sega Saturn. Oh, really? I will get that. You are driving from LA to Reno or from Vegas? Yeah. 360 miles from Tucson, AZ. To Las Vegas NV. 45 miles per hour maximum. Eight hours if you do it right. 
Oh, it was never officially released. Oh, but, but you can find it. And there's a bunch of people that do a charity event where they play this for charity, and you you drive from Vegas to LA and back and then back in real time, and the bus pulls slightly to the right. <laughs> Yeah. It's very funny. When you reach Las Vegas, you get one point. <laughs> and then when you drive back to L.A., you get two points. That's incredible. <laughs> you know who else had a Sega Saturn? Who else had a Saturn, Rob? Drew Carey. Famously had a Sega Saturn that he never played. It just sat on top of his TV. Really? Yep. That's such an odd choice to have a Saturn. Well, it was the only system throughout its entire series run, I think. Boxcar gives his bizarre saccharine speech. All my life, I wanted to be accepted by people. I wanted to belong. And I always thought that if you had money, it would happen. But I was wrong because now I got money. And people still don't accept me. Let me tell you, it hurts. But when I get into that country club, it's going to be different. Excuse me now, I'm going to get into my golf talks. The only person that is not accepting them is Hortense, and she sucks. And he could just cut her off if he wanted to. Yeah. He owns her fucking house. Absolutely. That's true. And, like, what a slap in the face it is to his two other people that have been by his side yeah. for practically ever, for all we know. Yes. So the cool kids don't want to hang out with you, so we yeah. don't matter? Slap in the face to the hobo community. Yes, you're right. But for some reason, they feel bad. So the next thing you know, we are at the country club, and Boxcar is wearing an alligator shirt that is either... Green or blue, it's hard to tell because the video quality keeps shifting colors. It's like turquoise. Turquoise Lacoste shirt with three Lacoste alligators on it. And a, a shirt that does not exist. But you know what? It will exist after this show comes out. They're going to be making bootlegs of it. People are going to love it. They're going to be buying it up. Yeah. $200 a pop. Now, I can understand the plaid pants <laughs> if he was trying to look like a golfer, right? country club i think that's what he says he says i'm gonna go put on my golf clothes that's right he does but then he also has a bucket hat flipped up like a floppy yellow sailor type <laughs> hat with the ends turned down like a gilligan hat it's yeah yeah it's a bucket hat it's orange it's all flopped up and i think he's supposed to look ridiculous but he just kind of looks like he's going golfing i wouldn't be surprised if these are really buddy hackett's clothes sure it's just how he dresses and could fit in certain areas of los angeles right now. <laughs> like, his clothes are kind of cool i'm not gonna lie no, it's good to know that i would fit in in los angeles just based on my clothes absolutely <laughs> that's what i'm wearing right now i'm wearing a, a bootleg lacoste shirt an orange bucket hat with the sides turned up and you know plaid pajama pants gucci's give me one of them alligator shirts but extra alligators <laughs> 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 the restaurant's called the 19th hole which leads boxcar to say come home <laughs> yeah that's what every bar at a golf course is called the 19th yep. hole. oh yeah this is a writer thinking they're incredibly clever or a meta joke on country clubs thinking they're very clever <laughs> or it's not a joke at all also true <laughs> it's just fucking lazy yes. 
Probably, you know what? Probably most likely. <laughs> so he's being shown around by Hawthorne, the club membership director, and it seems like everything's going great. Hawthorne, this guy is Keen Curtis, who is a very hardworking actor, 104 roles between 1970 wow. and 1998, mostly voice work after the mid-80s, but he did show up in an episode of 90210. Yes, he did. My favorite show. I wanted to know you both being 90210 aficionados remember this. Yeah, because I watched it just last year in December, and I believe it's a Walsh family Christmas where Steve arrives in Albuquerque, New Mexico and tracks down his grandfather, who's a diner owner. I could go on, but we'll just leave it at that. Well, it says he plays Santa Claus, comma, bum at beach, comma, pilot pit. Yeah, there's a B storyline where the people are, you know, giving back. Let's just put it that way. Boxcar says, What sort of business are you in? <laughs> be quiet. Oh, I used to be in railroads. Well, that's a happy coincidence. I'm a railroad man myself. Come on. Yes, there isn't a thing I can't tell you about the Northern Pacific. <laughs> but completely misses the opportunity to quiz Boxcar. Yeah, and setting something up just to let it fall flat. <laughs> that could have gone somewhere, but it just goes nowhere. Instead, we get this creepy view of G.W. Bailey. He's like offering the guy money in the background. <laughs> this server who's actively taking an order. <laughs> He's, hang on. <laughs> oh, hey, oh, wait a minute. Never mind. You wave this money in your face. So while that's going on, Boxcar offers to build the club a polo court. You do that? Why not? I must have three, four dozen polo shirts, and I certainly would like someplace to wear them. <laughs> and Hawthorne is like, hey, how about you just join the club? Let's dispense with the formalities. And then it immediately leaves to go get membership applications, which seems like a formality to me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but okay. You just have to put your name on the paper and we'll make it happen because I know you've got money. Barney is and the kid have shown up wearing waiter outfits. So I guess that's what he was, G.W. Bailey was like bribing the waiter for, right? To, to get the outfits? Yeah, which also means that they have access to unlimited money as well. Yeah, settling the score on if it's like an allowance from Boxcar. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I guess at the end of the day, they're trying to help Boxcar regardless. But he doesn't need help at this point. They've totally accepted him. They show up and they tap a boxcar on the shoulder and he throws an entire bowl of popcorn up in the air, <laughs> which is, I guess, pretty classic. Buddy Hackett slapstick. Fucking sitcom antics. Yeah. What other food would you even throw up into the air? I guess you could have thrown a steak. Uh, boiling hot oil. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Good, yeah. Oil and bread. Spaghetti. <laughs> Spaghetti. I love Italian food. One fat lasagna. Ooh, or bacon grease. Sorry, boys, I gotta go get my lasagna out of the oven. <laughs> he boxcar's like Hey Boxcar! <laughs> what, 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 what are you guys doing here? Well, well, we snuck in. We thought you might need some help getting into the club. And this is all very forced and contrived just to get them there all together. And then for some reason, the kid bothers some old man eating a huge bowl of soup to tell him You see I ripped her dress off. I ripped your dress up last night. It was an accident, though. And the man says nothing. In fact, no one in this whole crowded restaurant ever reacts to anything that's going on. And for being yeah. weird outsiders, you would think there would be people clutching their pearls. But as we all know from interacting with 
the fabulously wealthy, they don't give a shit about anything. Absolutely. No, not at all. As long as you don't bother me, I ain't bothering you. <laughs> Hawthorne returns with the membership form, and Hortense is like... <laughs> Charles, I want them thrown out. Why? Don't you know who they are? These are the bums. <laughs> Migratory workers who inherited all of my brother's money. Oh, well, that changes everything. I'd better give them two more applications. Are you out of mind, Hawthorne? <laughs> then the dumbest thing happens. They already ruined the neighborhood. Now you want him to ruin the club? Money never ruined any club. I want them out. They're rich. They are riffraff. They're rich riffraff. Riff -raff. Riff -raff. He learns his lesson that these people are accepting them for his money. But that's what we knew from the beginning. Yeah, it's what he claimed he wanted in the first place. Right. It's so like 10 pounds of sand in a five pound bag, you know. When we first move in, I wanted to be accepted by you people. And I wanted to be a member of your swanky exclusive club. I've been mulling it around in my head, and I realize I already belong to a very exclusive club. We only have three members, but it's a swell club. Come on, guys. We learn that, like, oh, we don't actually need the country club. We don't need it. I've got my friends right here. But none of that is actually connected A, B, C, D. So shoehorned in that they find they have an extra, like, minute left in the show. With a little extra writing, I think this could have made even a modicum more sense. But they all march out triumphantly for some reason. And then Boxcar interrupts the old man eating soup again to tell him, Don't order the liver. Yeah, what did he do to it? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we get a little epilogue where the hobos are sitting outside around the cauldron singing Big Rock Candy Mountain. And Philkins joins in and sings too. You can paddle all around him in a big canoe. You can paddle all around it in the big canoe. In the big rock candy mountain. And that's it. That's there goes the new one. So Buddy Hackett's career never really did revive, other than voicing the seagull in The Little Mermaid. <laughs> showing up in Scrooge as himself playing Scrooge in the TV special that Bill Murray's character is producing. Other than that, he didn't really have any big roles. Was he a big Vegas guy? Sure he was. I assume that's where he mostly performed. Those guys were doing fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. He, he did great. Excalibur, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you have a magic show. So. <laughs> Apparently, towards the end of his life, he sold off his gun collection, really? and it was a huge thing. Like, they had a huge auction. For it. Yeah, there's some crazy Bunny Hackett gun stories. Tell us your favorite Bunny Hackett <laughs> gun story by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, legitimately, it could go either way, but I'm very curious, what were his politics? Well, he didn't like cigarettes, but he loved guns, so I'm totally lost. <laughs> that is such a weird juxtaposition. It really is, because it feels like if you like one thing that's smoking, why not another? <laughs> G.W. Bailey, as we said, went on to be in the Police Academy movies starting the year after this was made. Police Academy was always on like Comedy Central on like a Saturday afternoon when I was a kid. Yeah, it was always on Paramount. But I have never actually sat down and watched a whole one straight through. So as research for this episode, I watched the original 1984 Police Academy. Oh, no way. Boy, has it not aged well. I don't think it got a single laugh out of me. It's just That's surprising. 
weird sexual humor in a lot of races. Stuart's very easy to make laugh, as I, proven yeah. by him laughing at my shit on this podcast. I'm pretty generous. <laughs> yeah, like I always go into something wanting to like it or trying to find the best part of it or understanding why. I also tried to watch Police Academy not too long ago, having never seen it. And who boy. Yeah, I, I I didn't make it far. And not because I didn't want to give it a shot, but because I just, do I need to? It's not funny. It's yeah, not funny. just fucking hates Steve Gutenberg. Well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> but I will say Michael Winslow is goddamn brilliant. He's the only redeeming part of that whole movie. And I did laugh at him. He's a fucking fine artist. I've known at least two people who have seen him perform at a mall. Wow. <laughs> You should watch his short film, The History of the Typewriter, where he does every single typewriter. (laughs) That's a great one. And he's so good at picking up like subtle nuances when he makes sound effects. That's just, it's just incredible. The neighbor's up in arms cause the hobo's got it good. This could have been because we had to spend our budget. It could have been we owed some money to to some actors. It could have been we genuinely thought this was a good idea. But for whatever reason, it didn't matter what was on the script, how it was acted, how anything. This got pushed through to completion as a pilot. And that doesn't happen anymore. People don't get to make things on a hunch. It has to like report to some vertical where so many people have to give the sign off. How many people read this script and went, okay, let's do it before it got to the actors who are probably reading it. Okay, maybe not Buddy Hackett, but definitely G.W. Bailey had to have been reading this going, okay, you want to pay me? I'll do it. And I miss that. I wish that shitty TV could still get made because it is so much more entertaining. Don't get me wrong. I love Better Call Saul. I love prestige television. But I'm probably never going to watch Better Call Saul from the beginning ever again. You know? I have watched (laughs) this show, this pilot, at least four times. And I don't have to pay attention to it. You know what I mean? It's just stupid, and it's funny, and it's a conversation starter. You're going to have the exact same Mad Men conversation with every person who has ever watched Mad Men. You will (laughs) not have the exact same There Goes the Neighborhood conversation two times in a row. Well, we'll find out when we cover There Goes the Neighborhood one more time. There it goes again.
this thing goes on forever. <laughs> Fucking God. This is so long. I told you it's like it's like another American song. Are we starting at the top? We'll just do the last four. Jesus fucking Christ. Where the, the jails are made of tin. Okay, got it. All right, ready? One, two, three. In, In the, the big, big rock candy mountains. mountains. The jails, jails are made of tin. tin. And you can walk right out, out again. again. As, as soon as, as you are in. There ain't no short-handed shovels. No axes, saws, nor picks. I'm gonna stay where you sleep all day. Where they hung the jerk that invented work in the big rock candy mountains. I see you this coming, fall in the big rock candy mountain. And that was me, my own interpolation there. 